Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this day that you have made. And uh, we especially thank you that it's the Sabbath, it's the Lord's Day. It's uh, as we would gather as your people. May uh, we be renewed in our relationship with you. May we find Christ uh, all in all. And uh, may we rejoice to tell others about him. Thank you for the Christmas season to uh, think about your particular care for us in providing our Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Amen. We've been talking this fall about gospelizing, about sharing the gospel. We haven't been uh, purposing to make people feel guilty and say, Why don't you? But out of the joy of our salvation, uh, what a wondrous thing it is that sinners would be saved, that Jesus would not only die for us, but he would give us his righteousness. So that in Christ, every morning when we wake up, we realize we're his children, we're loved by him. We'll never be more loved by him than we are each morning because he looks at us through Christ. It's a wondrous, wondrous thing we have in Jesus. But uh, we haven't actually talked about this. We've talked around it and all the rest. But I was just wanted to have a little bit of feedback. And, and if we have such a great salvation... And the example I used of having great and fun things and telling others about them was the Lees uh, with my GPS. I couldn't wait to show it to them, and I was all excited about it. And, and after I showed it to them, they went out and got a GPS because uh, I was such a great... No, because it, it, just, it just passed on the joy of being able to find our way around New England. I still can't figure out why my street go one way, it's called Bedford Street, and go the other way, it's called Concord Street. I think that's because you go to Bedford one way and conquer the other, but I just couldn't figure that out. But, but if we have such a great salvation, why is it that we talk about it so little? Why is it that maybe you talk about it, so, or maybe you don't, maybe it's just on the tip of your tongue all the time? Because uh, the last command that Christ gave is that we would indeed go into all the world and proclaim his message and make disciples. In uh, our glorification of him, that's part of what we're to be doing. Why do we do it so little? What are the reasons that hold us back from sharing the gospel? Fear. Hmm. I'm sure Doug's the only one that deals with that. Anybody else deal with fear? Yeah. Yeah, we do, don't we? Okay. Fear of all kinds of consequences. Personal rejection, but the other is job rejection and other things, right? Yeah, fear of the consequences. If... You upset someone, upset the apple cart, the, the, the peace that you have and the circumstances you have, whether it's at work, right, but it can be at your family also, right? Or it could be at a social gathering, right? Any other reasons we might not share our faith? Okay. As far as what? Okay. 
Yeah. Some, okay. Sometimes it might be because you don't know enough. Okay. Okay. Sometimes a particular person, how do you steer the conversation that way? How do you get to that? Sometimes what do you share? You know, do I know the gospel well enough to share? Do any of you have an easier time sharing the gospel with people you don't know versus maybe family and people you do know? Why is that, do you think? <laughs> yeah, you, you can go off and in one sense there's, unless, as long as they don't pull out a gun or something, right? There's no consequences, right? In, in one sense. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and one of the joys for me in, in starting to understand the gospel more is that's exactly the gospel. Right? We're not telling them we're better in any sense, ever. Right? We're telling them, if we're telling the truth, we've never stopped sinning. We've... Some days God is gracious to give us a heart to love Him more and follow Him more. But even when I do that the best, it's still loaded with sin. I always need a Savior every single day. And, and so that can, I think the reason that that struggles, not because that's not the gospel, but is because they don't know the gospel. That Now, we shouldn't be um, openly sinning in a rebellious way. You know, um, uh, I'm so happy in Jesus. I can. I've had, it was, it was a uh, quote that when I can sin all I want and still have remission. Now we're not talking about, you know, uh, sinning so that grace could abound. But, but the truth is, uh, you know, you, you come to a church. And I remember my father used to say, "I'll never go to church because I'll never measure up uh, to those people." And only had he known that those people weren't any different than him, except they had a savior. What else? Yes, Pat? Sometimes then the person decides they're not, 
absolutely. Well, it's interesting in, as we talk about this because there hasn't, in, in, the, in the real scope of things, there hasn't been much brought up on why we don't except for fear, right? Now, we can spend some other time, and I think you'll think of some things, but that certainly was uh, central for me. Mike? The, uh, sorry, go ahead. Yes, sir. Yeah, it seems to me that um, a lot of times we feel like sharing the gospel depends on us. So, that if we're not successful because it depends on us? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's always one of those exciting, you know, like, yeah. And, and there have been so few times that, that I've known people like that, you know, that I wanted to ask that question. But the truth is, when I came to Christ, it was because of some young man in a social gathering I was at that was because of that. Um, so, yeah, it is a mixture, a mixture of that, and we want to be... Um, I'm not much for official gospel presentations. I do have in my Bible uh, my favorite track I can use if I want to, uh, to give to someone. I, I do know how to present the gospel in different ways. Um, I did learn evangelism explosion a long time ago, and I'm officially certified to be a, a trainer. I've got a little pin with two questions, you know. That, uh, you know oh, what are those two questions? Well, if you were to die tonight, and also, you know, I, I've got that. I've got a lapel pin. Um, and and there, there was different things about it that I appreciated and I didn't. One thing I didn't appreciate was, you know, they were trying to give you things to say in case you need to evangelize people. So if you're in an elevator, you know, you ask the person, 
Going up? Yeah. How far? Ha 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 ha. Going down? Ha uh-huh. ha. You know. So that, I never thought that was, uh, you know, all that great of way to uh, to evangelize. But one of the things they did talk about, and we talked about having this margin, you know, and being busy, is is to wake up and say, God, would you allow me to have spiritual eyes, to not just understand that I'm living another day, but there are souls. Involved with all the people I'm working with and everything, and, and 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 would you give me you know help me see a spiritual encounter that you would you know give me an the opportunity that, that I would just be ready in case that would happen either they would ask me or God would give me the opportunity and that I would take the time to do it that I would say no I don't have to get out this next email or I don't have to do this next whatever it is because you know going to help that person stopping to talk with them you know. Uh, you know, having my eyes open to those, I think they called them divine encounters. But the, the one area we talked about and we started with, I just want to follow, and I want to go through this pretty quickly, but um, has to do with fear. And, and Proverbs 29, verse 25 says this, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The fear of man brings a snare, and whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And the fear of man is something I've had to deal with as a pastor, you know, in, in, uh, in, in preaching and in going to different people and talking in the community. And I'm so glad that one of the, one of the things that, that, that's on the prayer thing every week is that we would pray for the pastor, that he would have uh, God would grant him wisdom and boldness to proclaim the whole counsel of God. That, that's a great joy for me. Um, I want to look at two places where the fear of man really became um, for two different people. One a Christian and and one a non-Christian. One a believer and one a a non-believer in God. Uh, Traps. So we'll see the snare. The first one is in 1 Samuel chapter 15. And this is King Saul, the first king of Israel. And... um, Saul uh, was commanded by God and, and, uh, to wipe out the Amalekites and, uh, and, all, and all that they had. It was, a, it was a holy war. All of the things were to be offered to God. And as it turned out, um, Saul did not. And he was supposed to wait for Samuel to come and, and, and bring a sacrifice after the battle was over. And what we find out is that Saul gave in on all accounts. Saul, first of all, didn't kill all the Amalekites. He kept the king as kind of a a trophy to show off to the world that he had the king of the Amalekites there. And then when Samuel came to him and said, why didn't you kill all the sheep? And he said, I did just what God told me to do. Then in the background you can hear, you know, you you can hear the sheep bleeding. And then he was supposed to wait for Samuel. To, to bring the sacrifice and the people were getting restless so he gives the sacrifice and, and, and now Samuel comes to him and this is his response on, on why he did not obey God so in 1 Samuel 15 verse 24 and Saul said to Samuel I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I was shocked that he was this honest? He didn't start off this way, but he finally gets there. He says this, Because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. 
you know, and I and I think that's part of what we were we were saying that our struggle is, right? We we know what God's command is to us to to share the gospel. Um, but but we fear the people and we obey their voice. And sometimes it's what we're afraid they're going to say is their voice, right? Well, let's turn to the New Testament and we're going to look at Pilate, Matthew 27. Matthew 27, starting verse 17. And Pilate's wife had come to him and said, Listen, don't mess with Jesus. He's a righteous man. And if we would follow the story of Pilate and him, him, him having Jesus before him, three times in different situations, Jesus is, is uh, proclaimed innocent. Um, and so we know that this is a sham trial and it's a sham jury and it's a, sam, it's a sham and he's going to get convicted here. And, and as we, and we look at this, we have the sense that Pilate knew that and he wants to let Jesus go. But finally, because Pilate is in Rome and he would get in trouble if there were a riot and the people didn't follow him, he gives in to the people. Matthew 27, starting verse 17. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who's called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I've suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask Barabbas, um, to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? And they said to him, Let him be crucified. And he said, why, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, and let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning... He took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and our children. Then he released them for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. So you see here again, Pilate, you know, he knows what is right. And he gives in to the crowd. He gives in to the voices. He gives in to the the consequences and won't stand for it. Um, he had a fear. And, uh, and so we, we know what that is. And um, who would we probably say is the greatest evangelist in the New Testament? Other than Jesus. Paul. Right. Most of us know that. In, um, in Acts chapter 9, verse 27, um, uh, we see right after Paul comes to Christ, after, after Christ really comes to Paul, <laughs> as he does to all of us. He's the one that initiates it on the road to Damascus. Instantaneously, almost uh, the very first thing Paul does is he begins preaching with boldness, without fear. Acts 9.27 But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to him how on the road he'd seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he preached boldly in the name of Jesus. 
instantaneously he's converted and he goes out, he gets his sight, uh, and then he starts preaching boldly. Um, in, in, the chat, in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 2, even in the midst of suffering, it says that Paul would preach boldly. It says this, But though he'd already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel in the midst of much conflict. Now, this word boldness in, in the Greek is just so clear. It, it means an outspokenness, frankness, plainness of speech that conceals nothing and passes over nothing. Wow. Did you hear that? The kind of boldness that the Holy Spirit gave the Apostle Paul? It says this. It was, it's an outspokenness, a frankness, a plainness of speech that conceals nothing and passes over nothing. Free and fearless confidence, cheerful courage, assurance. Now, our tendency is to think, oh, that's the Apostle Paul. Right? Of course, he had an on-the-road-to-Damascus experience. I'm just Fred Schwartz. What do I have? Right? But if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, we know that the way Paul was on the inside, even though he was preaching at times of boldness, and that he did struggle, and that fear was something he dealt with also. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 3, he says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. We don't think of the Apostle Paul that way, do we? You know, we think of, he was scourged, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked. Right? But he talked about the Christian in, in Corinthians, to those Corinthians. He says, I was with you that way when I was, when I was preaching. It was, it was not easy. I didn't, I didn't have this magic boldness in me. And then if you follow what Paul asked for from the other Christians... He could have asked for lots of things. He could have said, could, could you please pray there wouldn't be any more shipwrecks? I mean, <laughs> had a couple of them now. <laughs> I'm tired of swimming. And he doesn't say, man, I've got bruises. All You want me to see my bruises? I've been stoned twice. I, I've, been, I've had the cat of nine tails three times. I, look at my scars. You know, he could have said, hey, could I... Could, how about praying I get out of prison? Why don't you turn to Ephesians with me to notice what Paul's prayer request is. Now, those would have been top on my prayer list. <laughs> if I was writing a prayer letter, you know, could, could we stop these difficulties? Uh, I just want, you know, how about some easy days? Get me out of jail. Send me your get-out-of-jail card, free. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 to 20, I want you to see. Paul asked for this twice. There's an interesting passage. This is after the armor of God. He says we should all pray for everyone, but he gets a specific example. Pray for me. Ephesians 6, 18 to 20. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, and keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, 
had words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in change chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak I didn't get this until I was reading this commentary I'm just going to read a quick comments in the commentary from John MacArthur because I didn't, I didn't really get this until I read it because I just know that if I would have because Paul's writing this from a jail in Philippi uh, chained to uh, a guard different shifts 24 hours a day and if he would have gotten my prayer letter <laughs> it would have been give me boldness it would have been get me out of here Paul did not plead, pray on behalf, in order that his ankles, raw and sore from his shackle, might be healed, or that he might be freed from prison and suffering. His deep concern was that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known the mystery of the gospel. When Satan tempted him to keep quiet about Christ, he wanted God's help to be bold and faithful to proclaim the gospel. He wanted help in his own battle against Satan, and he pleaded with his brothers and sisters at Ephesus to pray towards that end. That he was in chains was incidental. His great concerns were for the gospel, that he was an ambassador, and for those whom he was sent to proclaim it. He had wanted his fellow believers to pray for his victory in the spiritual warfare that his ministry provoked from Satan. Paul confronted the enemy face to face and he knew that he was not able to win in his own resources. Compared to most believers, Paul was gifted, courageous, morally upright, spiritually strong beyond measure. Yet he needed God's help and help of his fellow Christians. He knew that the power and blessings he had were not of his own doing and his spiritual maturity and effectiveness were grounded in that awareness. God cannot use the self-sufficient person because such a person feels no need for God. It's the humble believer who knows his own need and is generally poor in spirit whom the Lord can use and bless. It's not often that we can always see answers, but Paul gives the answer to that prayer because it seems that the Ephesians did pray for him because he tells us this in Philippians. Turn to Philippians 1, verses 12 to 14. Philippians 1, 12-14 I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served the advance of the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear I just want to encourage you that we need to be praying for each other 
not only that we wake up in the morning and God would give us a desire to look for the divine encounters He's going to give us with people, when He gives them that we would have a love for their souls and a boldness to fear God and love Him more than our own fear of their responses. And that affects others greatly when they hear. I I am so encouraged when I hear some of you and conversations you've had with others or ways that God has intervened or you've stepped through the door in spite of the fear. Um, Then I want to look at one other place in Acts chapter 28. This is the very end of Paul's life that's recorded for us. He has been taken to Rome. He is to be standing before the, uh, a, a tribunal in Rome because he has been faithful in preaching the gospel. In preaching the gospel, he says there's no God but Jesus. And in Rome, Caesar, they didn't mind how many gods you had just as long as Caesar was the top dog. Right? Yeah, bow to Caesar, then you worship anybody you want. And Paul wouldn't do that. He said, Jesus Christ is the Lord. Jesus Christ is God. And so they brought, finally, Paul with this message. The Christians were subverting the Roman religion because they were refusing to bow to Caesar. Uh, They would serve Caesar faithfully. They were good citizens, but they wouldn't bow uh, to the the statues and, uh, and the other things of Caesar. And so Paul is brought there as one of the leaders of the Christian church. And for two years, he's kept in house arrest. He has to pay for his own arrest. (laughs) But in the last two years of his life here, God gives him and fulfills that prayer to the Ephesians that, that, that he asked for in boldness. Because to the end of his life, he remains bold. Acts chapter 28, verses 30 and 31. He, Paul, lived there, Rome, Two years at his own expense and welcomed all who came, proclaiming the kingdom and teaching about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. By God's grace, those prayers were answered of Ephesians and others. And uh, once again, just so amazing to me that, that we don't have letters in here. And Paul once... The only other time I know that Paul asked for something specifically, he was in jail. He says, would you mind, he doesn't ask to get out. He says, would you mind sending my coat? It gets cold in jail. He didn't say, get me out of here. And he says, would you mind sending me my parchments? Because apparently I, I, I want to I study the scriptures some more on the letters that God gives me opportunity to write while I'm in jail. Does that blow your mind? I would have been having notes every day. Get me out of here! And he says, God, give me boldness. You have me here. You have me chained to these guards. Have me open my mouth. What a wondrous thing. Well, sometimes we're encouraged to hear of God's grace with others. Um, we're encouraged when, when we hear that, that there's little victories and it helps make us bold. When I hear about Paul, it makes me bold. And he wants us to tell each other, we should be asking, where have you been bold? How is God working? Or are you doing it? How can I pray for you? And, uh, and so one of our prayer requests with each other should be for boldness. Uh, 
and we need to do that. But as we end the class, we're ending a little early today because we're going to have a little goodbye uh, time, a fellowship with the canons, and then we have to have a little time uh, before the service that the children are going to prepare for Christmas Eve, and after the service, the adults prepare for Christmas Eve. So we're ending a little early today. But to encourage you, uh, um, I've been talking with Doug, and, and just some encouraging things have been happening with him. Um, uh, and his own faith and, and working with some others. So I'm going to just let Doug uh, tell us uh, this story and then close us with prayer. So Doug, you do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of you uh, know that I played trombone with the Boston Symphony for the last five years. That also means I play trombone with the Boston Pops. That's really the same orchestra with just very different acts at different times of the year. Uh, about a month ago, Redeemer uh, was asked to pray for as we pray for one family particularly each week. And I had asked for prayer for a new um, Christian fellowship group that I had started at Symphony Hall among my colleagues. And there are four of us that have been meeting regularly on Friday mornings uh, at noon uh, to pray and to uh, encourage each other and to bring uh, something from Scripture that we can uh, think about through the week. Uh, A week ago Friday... um, uh, we began our preparation for our Christmas Pops concerts. Well, I shouldn't really call them that. Now they're holiday Pops concerts. When I started with York City, with Christmas Pops, and somewhere along the line they morphed over to holiday Pops, although it's not clear to me what the other holidays are that we're singing and uh, dancing about. And um, our, our players, our, our orchestra of 100 members is governed by a five-member players committee that meets with the management from time to time to talk about issues conflict and resolutions and different kinds of things. And one of the members of the Players Committee is John Ferrello, our principal oboe player, who is one of the four members of our new Christian Fellowship group. And uh, John on Friday came to me after our uh, fellowship meeting and said, Doug, I think we have a problem. The program for the uh, Holiday Pops concerts had just been announced, and one of the songs that we were going to do as an encore, John thought was troubling. Now, for many years with John Williams, we had done, we gathered together to ask the Lord a blessing as an encore. Uh, in recent years, we've done that goofy 1950s, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Um, but this year, they had planned to do John Lennon's song, Imagine, as an encore, with a slideshow, I guess, showing peaceful fuzzy thoughts and, and there are the first two verses of this song have a have a message that's not just goofy but stupid and problematic. Imagine there's no heaven, it's easy if you try, no hell below us, above us only sky. And then imagine there's no country countries it isn't hard to do, nothing to kill or die for, and no religion too. And I agree with John. I said, this, this, this is a bad message to send out, well, any time of year, but especially here you, uh, where people are celebrating religious holidays, and you're basically saying, it would be really good if there weren't any religious people around. So I felt that to be personally offensive, that we would be singing a song that we wish I didn't exist, along with greed and poverty and other bad things. So uh, I wrote an uh, email to um, our manager and to our players committee uh, requesting that the song be taken off the program and for all the reasons that you can imagine I don't have to go into them all right now I'm just saying I felt it was personally offensive and problematic and would risk offending a great portion of our uh, audience and the players committee has five members on it one John who's a Christian another Rick who's a self-described atheist and the other three who are just indifferent to religion and however the atheist Rick 
also agreed that this was a terribly offensive thing because, of course, his goal in life is that we not offend anybody. So that's one, that's one of his major religious tenets. So there, and so the committee agreed to go to the management and ask them not to sing the song. And um, I got a copy of the email that they sent to the management, and it was very. It wasn't very strong because there was really no expectation on the part of the players' committee that the, the corporation would change something that they invested a lot of money in, rehearsed with the chorus, commissioned an arrangement, set up the slideshow. So I took it on myself to write to the orchestra manager and the executive director myself, laying things out a little more uh, fully. And uh, I was very, very surprised that when we got to our rehearsal on Tuesday, uh, that that song had been pulled from the program. And I was so grateful for, for that. And, and I let our manager and our players committee know how grateful I was. And because it was a surprise that they would back down in that kind of way. And that they would recognize that the song, excuse me, that the song would be uh, problematic for some members of their audience. The manager didn't agree, that, didn't agree to admit that the song was offensive. But they agreed that some might feel uncomfortable with it. Well, I don't really care why they decided to do it. But I thought it was a very good thing uh, to do. Uh, and, and it was an example of, you know, John being uh, on the committee, uh, coming to me, the others of us on our, in our fellowship group praying about it, and then working to do something about it and continuing to push a little bit, uh, be more than just a little nudgy to say, you know, it's not for you to decide whether it's offensive, it's for someone who's offended to decide whether it's offensive. And so they replaced it with um, Let There Be Peace on Earth, but we haven't had time to do that song. We've run out of time. It's a two-hour show, and so we haven't even done that movie song. Um, one other thing that's really different this year, it, in a really positive way, which makes the idea that they were going to include this John Lennon song even more outrageous, was that every year um, the plan always was to have the first half of the concert be mostly sacred music, and the second half be all the Frosty Snowman and secular stuff. And over the years, that first half has gotten less and less sacred music. And they've begun doing a very large segment, about a 20-minute segment, of some kind of, of contemporary Christmas story, like Dickens' Christmas Carol, or the Polar Express, or the Snowman, or how the Green stole Christmas. These are all fine things, but they came in the first half and kind of pushed it away after the opening Christmas carols and the Hallelujah Chorus. That was it. Well, this year, they decided to commission an arrangement of the Christmas story, and not the one with Ralphie and, um, and, and all that stuff, but the actual true Christmas story, uh, written by a British composer with a narrator, who's also a baritone singer, and chorus, which tells the story from Scripture uh, of Christ's birth. And it's absolutely tremendous. It's very, very moving, very strong, and it's getting a powerful reaction from the audience. And I'm just so uh, grateful that we have these uh, great baritones that are saying in their greatest stentorian, noble voices these words of Scripture, and the chorus is singing this, and we're playing away and having a, a grand time of all this. So it's just a way that God has worked in in several different ways in my workplace. Uh, there, there are about 40 Christmas Christmas Pops concerts uh, going on at this time. I'm doing 23 of them. It's 2,000-something people at each one. So a lot of people are getting these messages. And so I just wanted to... Uh, I shared this with Jerry. I appreciate him giving me a few minutes here to just share it with you as an encouragement that when something is happening, that we should stand up for it. I certainly wanted the song to be pulled. 
But, I, but all that God would allow me to actually do in this is to bring it up. I couldn't pull it off. And I had no particular expectation that in the natural sense of, of the world that it would be taken off. But it was. And this was, those of you that work in corporations know how big it is for the corporation to pull something off that they had decided in their wisdom to do and actually spend and invested money. And so I, I, I'm grateful for God for leading that for my our small little band of Christians who, again, I don't think it's an accident that this came up just a few weeks after we started meeting and praying together. And then uh, that this uh, outcome has happened. So just wanted to offer that encouragement to all of you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a testimony of your grace, of your enabling, and uh, of your giving boldness to your people. We give you praise and are amazed. And we have no doubt that you want to multiply that with us in our own workplaces and families to the glory of Christ. Amen.